my name is Jeff Hansen, and you're listening to Run Fulfilled. Uh, hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Run Fulfilled. My name is Jeff Hansen, and my guest tonight is Walter Berry. Walter, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, thanks. Pleased to be here. Thanks for uh, for tuning in and and, uh, and and joining me for the podcast. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about an event that's extremely special to me, and uh, you, you're coming at it from an angle that most people uh, don't really think about, kind of a behind-the-scenes perspective, and that that event is the Boston Marathon. Um, you've been involved with that for, for a number of years, I know. Uh, for me, as a kid, I started watching the Boston Marathon on TV. It was aired live, I believe. And I dreamed of, of running it one day. That was always a goal. Uh, I just wanted to be part of the energy in the action. Uh, it just looked like a huge spectacle. And that actually, that dream came true. As I became an adult, I was able to run it a few times. Um, and it was everything I, I hoped it could be and, and, and more. Uh, you know, running it was a fantastic experience. Uh, but there's other angles as well. And it was a connection that you had with my father that allowed me to volunteer at Boston uh, a couple times. And that was an extremely eye-opening experience to see just how much goes into running the Boston Marathon, executing it. So maybe you can talk a little bit about your uh, involvement with, with Boston Marathon from a volunteer's perspective. Sure. So I, I started uh, working at the marathon, volunteering at the marathon, because my sister worked for John Hancock, who was the major sponsor. And she did it for a bunch of years. And then she worked her way up sort of in the, the volunteer division of uh, luggage return. So um, she had a bunch of buses that she was responsible for. So of course, um, what what used to happen, I, I'm, I think maybe probably still happens, is the buses, lots of uh, runners would get on the bus in Copley Square and then they'd take the bus to Hoppington and then they would take their stuff and they'd put it in a bag and, um, and then that bag would come back to, uh, would come back to Boston. The bags from, I don't know how many buses, maybe 10 or more would all get bundled into one bus so there'd be 25 or 50 bags in, a, uh, in, in each seat and then uh, with a, each bag with a number on it. And then the runners would come and you'd pick them up. So that's probably a standard thing at other marathons. I've only been to Boston. Um, so we did that. Is that what you did with me, Jeff? Did we do yeah. that luggage yeah. return? Yeah, and I was, I was amazed at the execution. The, uh, yes, what... Um, so when did you begin then? Because I, like I said, the, the size of it is what surprised me. Oh, yeah. Well, so when I, when I did the 100th, came back to do the 100th, that was probably my 15th or 16th marathon at least. I've done uh, more than 20 now, so I proudly have a pin or something or other that says that I've done more than 20, uh, volunteered at more than 20 marathons. Um, so I did that, and then I've also done. Uh, we did water one once, right down by the, uh, right down by the finish line, and then for a couple of years I did water two, which was uh, 
which is at the intersection of uh, the first intersection where the runners actually have some choice as to where they're going to go after running in a straight line for over 26 miles. They have to decide whether they go right or left, and that's where the that's where Water Two is. And um, and so that actually was so when when I was doing the 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 baggage on the buses. Um, just as my mother before me, I was not really that interested in handing bags back, although that was very rewarding. Um, I was much more interested in actually getting off the buses and, and, and helping the runners in a more sort of personal way of helping to direct them, putting a hand on a shoulder of someone who felt like they'd just run 26 miles and couldn't walk another five uh, feet. Um, and that was the part that I really liked the best. So. Happily, towards the end, when we were at Water Two, um, I, I had got to make much more of that sort of personal connection, and so that was that was really great. So I, at one point, probably had about twenty runners' jackets in my closet until my wife decided that we needed the closet for other they, things. They, the, they do pile up. Yeah, I will say, up. as someone who's who's finished a marathon and been in that state of mind and body, you you need help. Uh, someone handing you a jacket or guiding you or pointing you in a certain direction. Your mind is fuzzy. Your body can't move the way it normally does. A, a marathon will, will wreck you. Uh, and I, I, I think what you've done with marathon is rubbed off on my dad. I remember him getting off the bus once. He, we had kind of given out the bags to, to runners and, and cleared that out and immediately getting out. And I think he actually went to other buses and helped buses yeah. that seemed to be having trouble just because there's so many bags and so many runners coming at you so quickly uh, and so desperate for, um, you know, the, the clothing to keep them warm, phones to call their loved ones, food to put in their body. It's, it's really, it's kind of salvation. So having an orderly redistribution of the bags, um, it seems very simple. It doesn't seem like a big task until you're there on the bus and all these desperate runners come to you <laughs> pleading for their bag and you can see the desperation in their eyes is what I, I remember seeing. Um, so that was the thing about, about baggage. So, so of course, you know, we, we would go traditionally, my sister would get a reservation at a restaurant and we would go eat an early lunch somewhere. And then we would go to the buses knowing that there were thousands of runners that were bearing down on us, you know, yep. that they were some 10, 15 miles away, but that they were coming. And, and the thing about the bus, of course, the, the buses are all arranged by the, by bib number. And so what it, what it would mean is as you were on the bus, runners would start to trickle in because the bib numbers are arranged by your expected time. So the, the runners would start to trickle in and you'd get some of the runners that had great races and they would come first and you go, oh, this isn't too bad. And you kind of find a, a bag or two and you hand them out. And then all of a sudden you look outside the bus and there's a hundred runners standing there. And as you said, they're absolutely exhausted and they're either hot or they're cold or both, or, you know, it's just, and so it was, it would be really wonderful to, um, so you find you paw through all these bags and you find a bag and you hand it out the window and the runner is really excited and relieved and thank you very much and now they can go find their spouse or kids or whoever and it's really wonderful. The thing I hated about the buses and we all did was on every bus there would probably be one or two bags that was missing yep. or was put in the wrong place 
And so you would tear the bus apart looking for this bag that may not be there and have to tell this runner, send mm. the runner away without their stuff. Yep. And that was heartbreaking. Yeah. That was that was that was a part. So so when I got to do things other than the buses, um, I was okay with that. Yeah. Um, it, so, it was it was stressful. I remember one year I did it. It wasn't the year of the uh, tremendously cold nor'easter that came through and just wrecked havoc on the race. But it was another rainy year, and I remember labels had gotten stripped from the bags. Uh, the handwriting wasn't legible in some cases, and people were waiting out in the cold, and we couldn't decipher which bags were theirs. And the lesson I took away, and this is maybe something some listeners can take away, every single time I did a drop bag from that point on, I made a point of making sure my bag was distinctive. I, my, my go-to was polka dots. I would cover the bag in polka dots. That way I could tell the person who was handing out the bags, it's got polka dots on it. So that saved me that desperation of having to wait extra long. So I've, I've also been in the position of a runner whose bag wasn't immediately um, uh, there and I had to wait <laughs> and it sucks. Now I know you've been at Boston, you mentioned the 100th running, which I believe was yeah. 96, was it 1996? I know. Yeah, so, so the running of the 100th from a volunteer perspective was an absolute nightmare. Um, they had way more runners than they actually could handle. It was the first um, time Boston ever let go of their BQ, the Boston qualifying standards and let anyone in who wanted to. And I think the numbers went from somewhere south of maybe 20,000 to well over 40 to 45,000, I believe. And, and so you, we, they literally ran out of places to park buses. And, and what they had to do, at least in some places, is they had to park the buses uh, sort of vertically. So ordinarily they parked them along the side of the street and, um, and uh, up again, you know, alongside the curb. And so you could put the numbers of the runners all along the bus and hand things out through the side windows. And so a runner would come and stand under the section of where their, their bag was gonna be. And you could just kind of reach down in front of you and hand it out the window in front of you. At the hundredth, they had so many buses that they had to pack them uh, front in. And so you had to hand the bags out the back and that just made it that much harder. Mm -hmm. uh, the runners were that much more frazzled because there had been so many of them. Um, I, I lost a fleece because someone just in desperation just grabbed it from somewhere. A, a runner who presumably was freezing to death and pissed off at us that we hadn't been able to find their stuff. But that was, I was, well, I was cool as they say with that. So, I mean, we had medical emergencies that. At the hundredth, I think somebody actually died at the finish line. I mean, it was wow. just, it was absolutely unbelievable. But by the same token, my strongest, best memory of the marathon was the hundredth. So I was in, I think I uh, was out on the Boston Common is where we were instead of just being right in, uh, right at the end of the shoot usually. Um, I was actually on the Common runners were coming for hours and hours and hours after the race. So uh, at, and what, what, what happens of course is 
the organizers start gathering the bags at a certain point when people are just dribbling in. Um, they, they consolidate the bags. And so the bags on my bus and a couple of other buses, I had helped to consolidate into kind of piles on tables and on the ground in the common. And at one point, so this is now after five hours. Um, so a, um, an Asian, older Asian woman um, came in after five hours. She was with uh, an interpreter who I think was from BU, who was a student who was volunteering. And I think the woman was Japanese. Um, and she was of course looking for her bag and she couldn't find it because the bus that it had been on that she was expecting to find had left. Um, but I was able to reunite her with her bag. Um, and I still fill up when I tell the story because, <laughs> um, because she was so excited and I had had to, and I had turned away so many runners whose bags I couldn't find mm. that to be able to find one more bag in the dark hours and hours and hours after the race was over, while my buddy was screaming at me that we needed to go and go to the buffet the volunteer buffet because otherwise the food was all going to be gone yeah um, it was amazing and and you know that's what the the marathon is like so you mentioned how exhausted and worn out you are um what i tell people is the reason why i volunteer is because you get to help people that have the level of need for you uh, for your help that ordinarily you only find at a nursing home or a hospital or a fire. You know, I mean, there's someone who is just completely worn out and desperate and, and can't lace their shoes or pull on their running pants or whatever. But the reason is not because their house just burned down, it's because they just achieved a lifelong dream, you know? So it's amazing. And, and to be in a situation where you literally have hundreds and hundreds of people saying thank you during the course of the day and really meaning it very sincerely, that's a really cool thing. You know, it's, a, um, it's addictive, you know? So this is why you take the day off and you drive up there and you go year after year because it's just amazing. So now of course, some of that depends on the job you have. Yeah. So one, one time I was walking out and, um, and was talking to a woman who was working security and she was at a gate. So of course, you know, marathons are linear. Um, and if you wanna go and meet somebody, a lot of times you have to go a long way around um, mm. to meet them. So I was coming through security and naturally with my credentials, I could go anywhere. So I, so this was a woman who all day long had been telling people that they couldn't go through the gate and they had to go around. So I said, isn't, you know, I love the marathon because you've got all kinds of people. You got hundreds of people saying, thank you. She said, well, I've had hundreds of people calling me an asshole all day long. <laughs> so it was great. Well, it's gratifying to hear you say that the marathon uh, touched you in those positive ways. Uh, the marathon for me, before I had ever done one, I didn't realize how it would change me. Obviously, it was a, a goal I spent months and months training for. But you do go from, um, you know, ecstasy at the beginning to, to desperate misery towards the end. 
to exaltation at, at the finish line. Um, it is something that changes you and to have people at the finish um, kind of notice that and see that on your face is, is really re rewarding. And I've, I've been involved, involved with Boston for years as a spectator first, uh, as a runner, and then as a volunteer. And, and all, three, all three perspectives have just, just shown me what a behemoth the Boston is. In, in some ways, I think of it as an American institution as important as Yosemite National Park or you know the the, the Capitol buildings in Washington D.C. The history there, um, you know, the, it, it's it's just it's incredible. Um, the first woman runner. Um, it's it's the the Mount Everest of running for the amateur runner across the globe. It's the only place, you know, it's the only sport where you can go up and toe the line with the very best in the sport. You can't do that in baseball and basketball, but in marathoning you can. And Boston, especially with its standards, the, the Boston qualifying standards is, is sort of the closest the average runner will get to an Olympic caliber event. Uh, and Boston has been marked, obviously, by some extremely um, important events. Some are uh, worth celebrating, others were catastrophic. And it sounds like you were there in 2013 uh, for the bombing. So I was there. I was at uh, I was at Water Two. So I was two, uh, two or three very long blocks away. But we were close enough that we heard the bombs and then kind of looked around the corner and could see the smoke. And when you heard the first one, you were kind of hoping that it was just a, you know, an explosion in the down in the sewers or something or other. But after the second one, and you could see the big smoke coming, and you know, we knew that things were things were pretty grim. Um, so it was loud enough that you knew it was. It was loud enough. It was loud enough that everybody was hoping that it was not bad, but we were afraid that it was. Wow. Fortunately, we were sort of far enough away that that we, the stamp, you know, we weren't really involved in the stampede that happened afterwards. And um, so, I mean, and, and afterwards, you know, the, the runners that were near where we were were still kind of flowing you know things that happened behind them and they were they were focused on getting their water and getting out and so that things kind of went sort of normally for a while and then one of the strongest memories of that for me was um we didn't know what happened you know obviously there were sirens and helicopters and all this kind of stuff going off um and we didn't know what happened so i called my son um to ask him if he knew what had happened. And so he could hear the sirens and all the people, you know, shouting in the background and all the rest of it. And then the, then the connection went dead uh, because they cut off the cell phones Yeah. because they were afraid that maybe further detonations would happen by phone. Um, so all of a sudden he's talking to his father at this, you know, incredibly chaotic scene and the phone goes dead. So obviously that was a big thing for him. And, um, it was pretty crazy for us. You know, we, we went and uh, my uh, friend that I was with, his daughter was there. She was about uh, 17 or 18 and she was really upset by the, by the whole thing. And uh, we went and on the way home, we rescued somebody who was in a dorm that, you know, because they were basically evacuating that part of the city. And so uh, we brought her home and 
you know, it was, it was, uh, it was crazy. But, but I'll tell you one thing um, was that all of us were bound and determined to come back. And, um, and I've only been back one or two times since then, but that, but the year after the bombing, uh, we were determined, the volunteers were determined we were going to be there and nothing was going to keep us from doing it. So, um, so we were there and it was a little scary because, you know, um, who knew if it was going to happen again, but, um, but we were determined that we were going to make it, that we were going to make it happen. Um, and it did. Yeah. Yeah. 2014 was an extremely special year, I think, for most of the people who returned. Um, and the first American to win in years, Meb Kofleski. Uh, so many of my friends, um, you know, Boston is just their, it's, it's their life getting in year after year after year. I feel like I'm okay with never running Boston again, personally, um, but I, I, I recognize the importance of it. And I'm so glad that you've you've been a part of it. You've been one of the, the many soldiers in the army that helped put it together. And it really is that. It's an army of soldiers. Um, it's gargantuan beyond belief until you're there and see what goes on. Uh, oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, when you realize, you, you look around and you see how many yellow or orange or lime green or however many jackets it is, you know, that's that, that are around of the volunteers and all of the white jackets, I think it is that the medical people wear. And uh, I mean, it's absolutely crazy. There's thousands of us. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in, the old, in the old days, uh, when we first did it, they held a big uh, buffet afterwards to feed the volunteers at the end of the race. And that was amazing because you were in this huge room uh, with all sorts of hip hop playing and uh, and really loud music and people going through the buffet and um, it was it was nuts. I mean, it was really wild. Yeah. But it was great. Unfortunately, they don't do that anymore. But um, got too big. But yeah, it's it's great. I think. Who knows? I mean, I don't know. It's probably one of the biggest line items in John Hancock's budget. But um, it was uh, it was great. But I'm hoping. We, we were ready to go uh, this year. So, you know, we, I've, I volunteered virtually, the gave blood and, and, uh, and did, did some other things as part of their uh, effort. And, and the volunteers, because the jackets had already been ordered, um, we could, if you participated, you could, they would mail you a jacket or you could uh, donate it to a first responder. And so that's, hopefully my jacket went to a first responder somewhere as well. And, volunteer marathon running jacket because they're they're pretty cool they're nice yeah yeah i had a a few through the years and i have I've lost them somewhere but um yeah interestingly yeah it's um 2020 the year the first year that uh, boston was i guess not technically canceled but postponed until october um and even in 1918 during the influenza epidemic they managed to i think it was a relay for the armed forces i think they they still had the event uh and i'm not quite sure what the fall marathon might look like i think uh you know it's far enough away now that it's it's not even really a good idea to speculate but i'm hoping it goes off okay i know a couple of the marathons around the globe have happened with extremely altered um 
the fields have been limited to the elite. The courses have been limited to, to small loops. So uh, the, the whole running world is just wanting some sort of normalcy to return in 2021. And maybe with the vaccines coming out, that'll, that'll happen. Um, but Boston especially is, it's kind of like Christmas for runners, the Boston Marathon. That's the way we look at it. Like I said, I followed it every single year since I was probably eight or nine years old. Um, so it's got a special place in my heart too. And Walter, I want to thank you again for taking the time to, to talk with me about your experiences volunteering there. It's been really nice to hear your stories. Sure thing. It was a pleasure. So I went, obviously, you know, it's a, I don't get a chance to talk to runners in general as a rule, but certainly, uh, you know, the runners really, the volunteers really appreciate the runners and they're there to help them. And, but certainly, I, and you guys, I can say, people do a great job of acknowledging the volunteers and thanking the volunteers. And, and that's, it makes it a really special experience for us too. So uh, it's great that we have this, that we can work this partnership and yeah. uh, make it work for everybody. Thanks. Yeah, again, it's gratifying to hear that you get the same sort of um, sense of fulfillment out of it as the runners. Because uh, I think there is that, that synergy there. The one needs the other. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's hard for me to believe. I probably, I probably done it 23 times. I mean, it's really insane. There aren't really, you know, how many things have I done 23 years in, at, a, at a time? So uh, yeah. yeah, it's great. Good. So keep it up. Keep running, guys. Fantastic. And girls, ladies, <laughs> women. Yep. Thanks, Walter. I want to wish you a happy new year, uh, continued health, and uh, hope 2021 is, uh, is better for all of us. And the same to you. All right, great. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thanks, Walter. Take care. Thanks for listening. And until next time, run fulfilled.